the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show. This is the Boys of Tech, episode 310 for Monday, the 22nd of December, 2014. Only three sleeps to Christmas. My name is Edwin Herman. I'm in the studio here in Wellington. Co-hosting with me is Brett King. Welcome to the show, Brett. Ahoy, hoy. Hey, how you doing, Brett? Not too shabby. For the last podcast of the year, or at least the last podcast before Christmas, we have a guest. Her name is Juana Jones, and she joins us live on the show this morning. Hi, thank you. Hey, it's great to have you on the show. Brett and I read with interest the story about you, and I had found this hard to believe. I had to watch a video to understand this fully. Uh, you Essentially, if I understand correctly, you created a simple hand crank record player printed on a 3D printer. That's right. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Now, I know, I guess you could say that uh, record players are fairly simple things, but I think, um, you know, if you were to build one, isn't there a whole lot of complication with gears and angles and things like that? It's actually not too bad. It's just a really, really simple set of gears and most of getting the right speed just comes from how fast you crank. So before we go into the ins and outs of how this came about and the challenges you faced, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? As I understand, you're an animation teacher, is that correct? Yes, it is. I teach in Auckland at a school called Animation College, and we teach 2D and 3D animation there. Oh, I reckon that's something I'd like to enroll in. What about you, Brett? Sounds pretty cool. That's, I reckon that's what we should get into. That sounds really cool. So how did you get? So how does the three D printer come into into? Uh, is that is that something related to your to your work as as an animation teacher? Or yeah, it is. Um, obviously, because we have students who study three D animation, we teach modeling as part of our curriculum. So you get a lot of students learning how to three D model, and some of the best ways to kind of visualize those is to print them out on a 3D printer and then they can kind of hold the thing they've made in their hand and see what it looks like. That makes perfect sense. I, I guess, you know, I've seen uh, researchers model things in 3D, uh, particularly around chemistry, mo- you know, modeling molecules in 3D, but it's only really projected on a computer on a 2D screen and they have to sort of rotate this thing virtually. And But, you know, there's nothing like actually printing something in 3D, is there? Yeah, it's a bit of a step up. Mm. Do the students have to have it at a certain level before they decide to print it out? Um, no, they can pretty much print who- it out whenever they want. It's um, a school facility just like the regular printer would be. So if they have something they want to print out, uh, they just fill in a form and then they can go. What do you do with the, the random ones that fail or they, they print it out and decide that's not what they want, they want to change it? Uh, usually I just give them to the students. Unfortunately, it's a little bit too expensive to um, remake filament out of them. But the students are getting pretty clever with their failed prints. We had a dragon we made a few weeks ago that failed halfway up the neck and she turned it into a pencil holder. <laughs> so... 
back to this record player. How did you, this turntable, how did you come about building this? What was this in aid of? Um, well, the competition itself that I entered with it uh, was to create something that kind of combined 3D printing with record players. So kind of the first thing I decided I wanted to do was something that actually played records. And I saw this really cool clip on the internet of somebody who got a pencil and used it as kind of a spinning top with a record on it. And then they just had like a paper cone and a needle that they used as the actual um, player and amplifier. I see. Yep. Yep. And so you've taken this a step further, right? Yeah, it's fairly much the same sort of principle. All I've done is replaced the pencil, as it were, with a little box that's about 15 centimetres that you then hand crank to get the rotation in. That it's is a little bit more sturdy. That is really cool. Look, I must say, I watch. I, I think you know. We look. We can play some audio of it, but I think it's really personally. I think it's more interesting to watch. And there's a yeah. video out there. I think uh, there's a video on on the stuff website. I think there is. Yes. So perhaps we could link to that in our show notes. But, uh, you know, it's fantastic just seeing this go. Let me just play a little bit of the audio. Take a listen to this. There you go. I, that was definitely a record playing, wasn't it? Fantastic. I mean, you know, it's obviously it's, you know, people have to expect that it's not going to produce exactly the same sort of sound from a sort of a, a hi-fi system. But it's, no, but it's, it, it, it produces the same sort of sound you get when you hear, um, you know, audio from the first record players and exactly. black cylinders and that sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. The non-ampli, you know, that they weren't amplified electronically, were they? They were just amplified, I guess you could say acoustically, just, just through the yeah. cone. And you can definitely hear, that's fantastic. What did you use as the needle? Um, it's actually just a regular sewing needle. Oh, right. I went to Marbex, who were kind enough to give me the original record that I was using to test it out on, and they actually gave me a bunch of um, 75 RPM needles, the actual needles that go into the record player to try. And I tried those on, but what I found was that the tiny little needles, they weren't um, attaching well enough to the piece of paper, so you weren't getting as much vibrations as the big bat sewing needle which actually worked a lot better than the thing that was supposed to be made for it. Oh, wow. That, now that, that's a surprise. I would have but thought... How does the big fat... How does the record fare after the big fat needle? Um, let's just say I wouldn't put anything valuable on it. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> Look, I must confess, when, when I was... When I was just a young boy, I had this book that showed you how to make things and crafts and little sort of experiments and so on, and one of them was uh, to you know to effectively play a record by sticking a a little sewing needle onto a a paper cup or a, a similar sort of device and I did that and I we ha- I had a prop- a record player and I just let it spin but I instead of putting the actual stylus on it I would put put my my little you know my own homemade stylus on that and uh needless to say it played but it 
kind of ruined the record. There was mum. <laughs> yeah, then the then mm. the um what is it the the, the fine needle head of your actual record player has no <laughs> has no grooves. Well, no variations in the grooves for it to pick up on anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's not something I would do again. But look, so back to this uh, this one, one that you've three D printed. How many attempts did it take you to do this? I, I can't imagine this would have happened just on the first attempt. Um, it kind of did. Bear in mind, everything that comes out of the three D printer, I model on a computer and test first. So most of it came out in one go. I only had to print about small pieces out again. I had some problems with the crank and um, some problems with the shaft being a little bit too thick. Uh, but once you kind of got rid of those, it was just the two pieces I had to redo and everything else just slowed in fine. Oh, wow. So do you have like a a, a sort of a, a system to model, I, I guess like a physics engine or something on the computer that will let you see these gears turn against each other? Is, or, or um, There are pieces of software that can do that and I'm sure a bunch of engineers will be able to tell you all about them. Unfortunately I don't really have access to anything like that so I just did it in a program called Maya which is more for creative use, film, television, that sort of thing. So I'm able to animate the gears turning but what it doesn't do, because I just did a simple animation, it doesn't check overlap. So when I originally did it uh, if you ever see it picture or video of it what you'll notice is it's got one big gear on the side and then a small gear on the top and the bottom and what i didn't realize is when you spin that big gear on the side the gear on the top and the gear on the bottom will actually spin in opposite directions so on the first version i did on the computer it actually jammed oh of course yeah it would too i'm just i'm sorry i'm just trying to visualize it as you're speaking you're right because yeah, yeah. it would spin in opposite directions because you've got the central shaft and if you've got the two gears attached to the shaft the bottom one's trying to spin the square shaft one direction the top one's trying to go in another mm, direction that's the whole not gonna thing work just up. <laughs> yeah. uh, but luckily i caught that before i printed it out so the bottom gear now just kind of spins freely um and it's just there to stabilize everything oh i see yeah and i understand your background is not engineering is it no, no. So it's um, 3D animation and art. So I'm more of an artist than anything else, wow. which means that there's probably more efficient ways to do what I've done. But there you go. Hey, look, I take my hat off to you. I think, uh, I look, I'd hazard a guess that there'd be some people who have had a background in engineering that probably would not be able to produce that, at, certainly at least uh, not in their first attempt. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. Now, you were saying earlier you're an animation teacher. You, where was it you teach again? Um, so that's Animation College in Auckland. We're at www.animationcollege.co.nz. Um, we're still enrolling for January, so you can check us out there if you're interested in that sort of thing. All right. So that's www.animationcollege.co.nz? That's it. Great. So if anyone out there is interested in uh, learning animation or perhaps just want to enroll because you can get taught by someone who's actually built a 3D hand-cranked <laughs> turntable um there you go uh i yeah check that in fact we'll put a link up on our uh, show notes how about that yeah cool all right so uh why don't i want to thank you very much for joining us for this segment we're going to move on and talk about uh, bmw's latest technology uh, i think this is fantastic and i really 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 would love one of these cars no doubt 
uh, I probably won't be able to afford one. So what BMW is working on at the moment, and at this stage it is concept only, it hasn't been released, but it's no doubt going to happen. It's a self-parking car. Now, before you switch off and go, yeah, I know about self-parking cars, this one is different. This is a self-parking car where you can, for example, drop yourself off in front of a supermarket entrance. Everyone piles out of the car. And then at the push of a button on your smartwatch, the, your car will go and park itself. It'll find a spot in the car park, park itself while you do your shopping. When you've finished your shopping, you're back at the entrance. You can summon your car again at a touch uh, by pushing a button on your smartwatch and your car will magically find its way back to you. How about that? It's pretty awesome. Oh, I would so love one of those. You'll have to it's- wait a while. <laughs> It's not entirely new, though, is it? I mean, Tesla have a car out at the model at the moment, their Model S, which um, they say will do that already. Oh, is that with a remote initiation? Apparently, you hook it up to an app that connects to your calendar on your smartphone, and not only can it go park itself for you, but what it can do is you tell it when you wake up in the morning, and it can drive from your garage to your door and heat the seats for you. <laughs> oh man, isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, I, it really does make you wonder how, how far it is. Well, we know how far it's going to go because, like, of course, the next stage is really I guess, fully self-driving. So this, anyway, this BMW, uh, this BMW concept car. I don't know when it's going to be released. I don't. In fact, I don't think BMW have announced a date, have they? No, no, they've just it's uh, something that they're working on. But it, I think it. The coolest part about what they're working on here is they're taking all of these different things which have already been worked on by other places, such as, you know, parking assist and the learning, you know, adaptive learning. I park here and then on the touch of on command, I move to a different position here. And they're kind of taking it a step further because this one is not only learning that there's a garage here and a place to pick up here, like the Tesla one, it is actively searching around a parking building for a vacant spot for it to put itself in and then coming back from that spot again. So it's taking that technology a step further. That's the cool thing. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is that this, what this doesn't have is the challenge of, I guess, the legal challenges with driverless cars on the roads. I mean, this thing, what we've just talked about, would take place only in a car park. So, so, so long as, you in know, a very controlled, uh, yeah, situation. Yeah, car parking buildings are incredibly controlled situations. They have a lot of random events, people stepping out between cars and all that sort of thing. But the speeds you're going at in those areas are, you know, such that you'd have plenty of time with a. a robotically controlled car to for it to detect that oh, something's come down and slow down and stop. Mm, exactly. So, look, I I can't wait for this to just be, I, I guess, a standard feature. And I, I know I'm jumping ahead 10, maybe 20 well, years. I don't know. You know but- <laughs> it'd save a heck of a lot of time because your car would, you'd just get out of the parking building at the bottom and your car would drive around the car parking building trying to find a car park for you and you won't be late for whatever it is that you're going to. Exactly. And you know what? You, you, Even you know, if your car's you, had to spend the entire time just driving around and around in circles. 
Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine what would happen if it broke down in the car park? How would you explain to the security manager that your car's parked somewhere? It does it can't start, but you don't know exactly where it is. <laughs> yeah, that's sorry, actually that's actually a point. Park my car. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually, that's you, a very that's good. when you go back to your smartwatch and you click a button, and it then oh, pings GPS. the GPS in your yeah, car and says, there you oh, go. I'm over there. <laughs> But it's so true. I mean, if, if well, if it wasn't functional at all, that, that wouldn't happen. But that would be kind of weird because, yeah, you you know, you've got this car somewhere in this car park and it could be a multi-story car park and you have no idea where it is. Well, I guess you you need to set out for a bit of a walk. Bit, I bit guess of a that's why there's the, the, the whole point of this thing is you drop yourself off and that is also where you go to be picked back up when your car comes and gets you. And what you said Brit, about the work scenario is uh, it just rings true for me so you know so many times I've arrived at work a little later than scheduled and you know I actually pull into work at you know at a a couple of minutes before I'm I'm scheduled to start but then I spend you know five six seven eight minutes trying to find a car park now if I if I could hop out then and there and tell the car to go park itself oh that would just be so much better indeed I have a question though how does it know where it can park because presumably you're not necessarily going to want it to leave the car park building. And what if it has to go park somewhere where it's paid parking? I think it has the, the same sort of limitations that you get, for for example, with your um, with what Tesla has. Tesla's is predefined preset points. You've got a point that is preset as being this is my car park and a point which is preset as being this is my pickup spot. And the car goes between those two. This one would be it will perform these functions only in a car parking building or a car park scenario which fits specific criteria, such as delineated lines on the car parking building, appropriate uh, things on the ramps to show ups and downs, that sort of stuff. So they would be predefined things. It wouldn't just you wouldn't just be able to let it loose in you know a big paddock that had been turned into a car park for a festival event or something like that. Yeah, but I think also more to the point, you know, you might get some multi-storey car parking buildings where some car parks are for the public, others for, you know, casual users, others are reserved, others are for, uh, you know, a different payment option. And so I, I don't know whether, how it would work, it would work there and perhaps... In the, that sort of scenario, you, yeah. they would have to be thinking about that sort of thing. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure they have. The thing is that the, Germany, you'll have the option to go, <laughs> in the car parking building I'm about to drop you off at, park on levels three to four, not on any of the others. Well, we, we don't know. We we have to wait and see. But I, I Indeed. You know, these are all things that I guess will come out later on, but these are very good questions to, you know, to ponder. But the first thing they need to get down is the ability for... <laughs> Number one, it to drive safely by itself. And number two, for it to be able to find and navigate a car parking building. And one of those little telescopic arms so I can take the ticket at the desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Th- we're we're talking, once again, we're talking about BMW in Germany here. It's probably all um, tags that the, the car parking building itself just scans off your windscreen. Oh, yeah. That's a point. Yeah. As you drive through. <laughs> Are you suggesting we're the last country in the world to have these little parking tickets? Probably not, but no, no. I, I take Definitely your point. Definitely not <laughs> the last country in the world to have a place where you have to lean out your window <laughs> or, depending on your car, open the door and get out. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
All right. So uh, anyway, that we'll see what happens in the next year or two with that. Uh, but anyway, that's what BMW is working on at the moment. And uh, last story then for this episode, ICANN has been hacked. So apparently... Say it isn't so, Ed. <laughs> A well, place on the internet has been hacked? Yeah, but this is ICANN, Brett. So this is not just any organisation. I mean, the... Look, who knows exactly what the damage is. From what mm-hmm. we can tell, the intruders have managed to get into the ICANN system. I think it was a phishing uh, type. That um, is what got me the, as the funniest thing about this. This is ICANN. This is the domain name overseer. This is a mm. group that is really, you know, at the heart of the internet. And they fell for a phishing attack. Its staff members had not been taught... <laughs> to not to not click on things in an email. Yeah, it depends how good the fakes are. You know, I mean, there are fakes and there are fakes. But I look, I take your point though. People are the weakest link, and we've been saying this for a while. And yeah, yeah, we we always say all the big hacks, pretty much all of the big hacks come from some sort of phishing attack. Now, from from what we understand, there haven't been any changes made to the. Well, the, the system that was to the zone files hacked had the ability to look at the the zone files, but did not have the ability to change the zone yeah, files. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so they what they do have though is I think uh, usernames and passwords, although they are encrypted passwords. Yeah, but they have contact details of the people who maintain zone files. Yeah, which I mean may prove to you know to be. They may use that information for a further attack. Who knows? But yeah. um, you know, there's, so do there's they know po- who did it? Well, I I haven't seen any stories uh, suggesting anyone. Uh, Brett, have you? No, they've not announced who they think has mm. done this. That seems a little bit strange to me. Usually, when they get attacks like this, it's either somebody looking for bragging rights or it's somebody after something specific. But like you said, it was just a read-only file, so I'm wondering whether yeah. they're planning to do something with the information or what's... I'm thinking it was possibly a probing attack and the attackers thought they were going to be getting access to a system which had the ability to make alterations and discovered that they didn't have the ability to make alterations, but they could gather all of the other information, which, you know, incidental information, usernames, passwords, and personally identifying details, which they could then use on further attacks to actually compromise other systems which can make changes. So so it sounds to me like the they just got a little bit lucky that uh, the hackers didn't get them somewhere where it was really important. Yeah, <laughs> they did get lucky in the fact that they could not make changes. But it is, it is worrying in that, you know, they've got enough information that, and it took them a week to discover that they had been hacked. Yeah. So yeah. there is that weak time, that weak lag time where the people could have used the information they got to possibly compromise something else and were just better at covering their tracks. I imagine they're about to have a lot of team building workshops at um, the organization now. Yeah, 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 I think you a might lot be of right. Yeah. On, do not click on anything sent in an email. We will never send you a link in an email to log in again to something else. Yeah, you know, the thing is, you know, the bigger an organization, the bigger the chance that phishing is going to work simply because there is always going to be someone who is more likely to click on a link or not recognize a fake as a fake than someone else. Or not check. 
Yeah, or not check. Mm. You know, I read the article too and I thought that the most interesting thing about it is that for an infrastructure this important, they didn't have any sort of double security features like they do with banks where you put in your password but then you get a code to your phone or something. Yeah, no two-factor. Yeah, it, it is kind of surprising because, you know, if you could modify the zone files for the, you know, for the root servers or on the root servers – that you hold the key. I mean, this is the thing. You, you can D- cause DNS havoc has on always the entire been, internet. Exactly. DNS has always been kind of a, 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 you could say, a point of vulnerability on the internet because, you know, we use DNS or we, we don't use IP. You know, ever since DNS was introduced, we've, we've always been using names instead of IPs. And you, if, and if, with the, you know, the, the uptake in IPv6, the ability to remember IPs is going to diminish rapidly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, that's so the one. So we will be relying on the names even more. Oh, absolutely. So you know, uh, the, this whole yeah, it's a little bit worrying as 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 one of, as you mentioned the uh, the lack of two factor authentication. I was surprised as well that they didn't have that, and I dare say that's probably a project that's been initiated in the last few days. Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> you would hope so. Well, I'd hope so. Yeah, exactly. There's probably some very sleep deprived web developers out there. <laughs> yeah, there will be. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, uh, let's hope that that's as far as the hack went. But, you know, every now and again, when we cover a story like this, uh, you know, a week or two or a a month later, we find out a little bit more about what's happened. And let's hope that's not the case in this in this uh, instance. Mm. All right. Well, look, that pretty much wraps up episode 310. This is the last episode before Christmas. Brett, you would would like me to say the penultimate episode for the year. Yes. Are you happy now, Brett? I am happy now. <laughs> okay. All right, Wana, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, I, I look, I, re- I look forward to uh, to seeing whatever else comes out of this uh, little project of yours. Thank you. And once again, what was the uh, web address for the for Animation College? That was www.animationcollege.co.nz. And Brett, I want to thank you very much also for co-hosting. Always a pleasure. So have yourselves a very Merry Christmas. See you in a week. In the meantime, take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.